Greetings, my friends. Welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Mr. Pete Jones. Now, Pete Jones is the founder of the Good in the Head website, where every one of you guys is going to want to go check out the content that he's putting up there. This is going to be a living legacy for this man's life. And trust me, you're going to want to know what this guy has to say. He's a fantastic writer with an amazing story. And with that said, Pete, man, welcome on, man. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to take the opportunity to thank you uh, for this experience and, and for a platform from which to share um, some of the important messages I've learned in, in my life from so many other content providers. Thank you. You are most welcome, my friend. I uh, sense that this could be the beginning of a very long and beautiful relationship. I've had the opportunity to read some of your stuff, obviously not all of it, but man, you're a great writer and you have so much insight and value to bring to the world. I can imagine us talking for many, many hours, days, weeks, months to come. So welcome on and uh, let's jump into your life, brother. Sounds so, good. um, you, like I said before, you have a really interesting story going from early childhood into, you know, midlife, into a depression, into all these different things, into coming out of that haze into the light. But let's frame it around, you know, young Pete, you know, what was life like for you coming up? Where are you from? Give us some color around your origin story. Okay. I was born right here in Mesa, Arizona uh, to incredible parents. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no need to apologize, um, brother. Sometimes I get emotional. Um, I'll apologize to the listeners now. That's just the way I am. And I, I love that about myself now. I used to hate it, but now I love it. So that's okay. But my uh, mom and dad uh, and my three sisters were my entire world. We kind of grew up um, out in the mountains. My dad worked for Salt River Project, lived out by Roosevelt Lake at a place called Horse Mesa. It was about 11 miles outside of Tortilla Flats on a bunch of dangerous dirt roads. And uh, then grew up out at Swirl Lake and was bussed in um, with the kids from the reservation um, out at Fort McDowell to go to school at Salk, Fremont Junior High, later Mountain View, and then Red Mountain. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a a great childhood with not many challenges. I was very uh, well protected um, by a loving mother. Um, My parents were awesome, well-meaning all along, always did their very best, and uh, had an incredible childhood. Um, and then at the age of 18, I was actually raised Mormon uh, from the age of five. That's when my parents decided to join the Mormon church and, and bring us up in that. I went on a two-year mission for the Mormon church. And it was funny because they asked me, you know, hey, where would you like to go? And I was like, I don't know, Texas. They got cool accents over there. I'd <laughs> never seen the world or, or anything about it. And uh I got my call, and I was leaving a month later, and they were sending me to Athens, Greece. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wait a minute, that's a place for reals? I thought that was just in the stories with Zeus and all that stuff. I, I didn't know that it was a place. I was very sheltered growing up, and I didn't know much of anything, honestly. So that was a huge wake-up call, going over there and experiencing other cultures, people, religions, and they've got a place uh, over there called Wompelos uh, Tusiban, which is the belly button of the universe. And right there in Greece is this big rock. It looks like a, a belly button hole in the top of it. There's a divot. And the Greeks believe that everything came from them. It, it, the, all the cultures of the world started there. That was like the center of the universe. And it, they have a lot to be proud of over there. And I loved Greece. It was a great experience. Um, when I got back, I was in a hurry to get married. Uh, my parents had gotten a divorce at the age of 
18 during my senior year, like right before it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was angry, you know, bitter. I had no coping mechanisms, no tools to deal with that or even process it. So I just stuffed it down and, and sat on it for years. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, uh, I came from a two parent household, but most of the people that I grew up with didn't. Hmm. And, you know, they would talk a little bit about the anger, but I never really understood it. You know, why were you angry? Because they, they split up. Well, honestly, for me, I I just didn't see it coming. It took me by surprise, kind of like a brick wall that just fell on top of me. It crushed me. (laughs) I don't know. I've got a belief now that... Uh, serves me well and anybody else who who believes it or teaches it or shares it. And it is that the universe was designed from the beginning to conspire on our behalf. And I truly believe at this point in my life now that that was what needed to happen for everybody. What needed to happen. Not what we wanted, but because that happened, uh, it set in motion so many other possibilities for all of us. And, uh, the most difficult things in life, I've noticed, uh, end up usually eventually being our biggest blessings. And it was in disguise all along. So their divorce, um, as crushing as it was uh, for me and my sisters at that time, and I mean, we, we felt like, hey, where's the loyalty? Where's the love? You know, we were victims for a while. We were traumatized. And life does that. It traumatizes everyone. It victimizes all of us. But it's up to us how long we want to remain a victim. And so I remained a victim for decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you say that, I mean, a lot of people are going to hear that. And, you know, it's probably not going to register for, for, for many folks when you say, you know, when you allow yourself or choose to be a victim, what are you actually saying to yourself in that moment? Oh, so much can go into that. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton um, teaches this beautiful teaching and explains how scientifically, I mean, it's been proven, it's been known for centuries that Jesuits um, used to take young boys and train them the first seven years of their life. And they said, you know, show me the boy and I'll give you the man. And uh, our subconscious, um, we're, we're in delta mode. Um, the brain is just in consumption mode through years zero through five, six, seven. And then for some reason it just switches off and then bam, that's our subconscious. It's programmed and we live our lives from then on, mm-hmm. uh, according to that program, unless we choose later to change. And it's usually through pain and devastation and trying to escape that suffering that we all inevitably cannot avoid in life that shoots us on the trajectory of healing and then eventually, uh, hopefully, serving others and leaving a legacy behind that's helpful, not just for us, but for everyone around us as well. That's why I like what you're doing here. You're leaving a legacy. This is recorded for history for centuries to come. Generations will will benefit from your work. Thank you, sir. I hope so. That is one of the goals. Yeah, so it's interesting that you brought that up. I just did a seminar. Um, I hosted a bunch of people up in FLAG, and we talked about that, uh, how early childhood from zero to six or seven, depending on which book you read, you're basically in a hypnotic state mentally. It's called hypnagogia. And pretty much anything that goes in stays in. Yep. And then that becomes your roadmap for life. But it's uh, so many different traditions have that, right? Like you train a child in the way that he shall go. And when he, you know, grows up, he will not depart from it kind of a thing. Absolutely. And so how unless would you... they choose to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless you choose to, right? So how are you relating that back to this idea of, of victimhood? Well, um, 
not only are we programmed by our parents, but by teachers, by our peers, and though everyone is well-meaning at that young age in our lives, um, a lot of trauma and, and abuse happens, um, neglect, different things. I never suffered through any of those things. I had a great childhood, but I know so many people who have been through just devastating traumatic experiences that they suffer through for the rest of their lives, not realizing that uh, a shift in their focus, a consistent shift in their focus will literally save them from themselves. Mm. And um, until I was able to realize that that's a possibility for me, for anybody, um, I I remained a victim for so, so long. And uh, the things that disempowered me, I think the most, was the fact that with these well-meaning parents, mentors, teachers, uh, church people that, that were helping raise me. I mean, it takes a village, right? Like Hillary Clinton says, <laughs> a village is helpful if everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I had so much content just shoved down my throat growing up, which I appreciate, and I'm glad it happened. And uh, the, the bummer about it all is that as well-meaning and as perfect as their teachings may be, we as imperfect little souls, you know, in these tiny bodies as we're developing, we misunderstand almost all of it. And so it's our perceptions that need the shift. It's our thoughts and beliefs that we need to work on, period. And once we get uh, dirty and uh, down in the trenches and, and dive deeply inward and, and do that difficult work, which is terrifying and it takes years, that's when things really begin to happen magically, you know. And uh, I love the idea behind consistency and the fact that, you know, we all know what paranoia is. It's, it's when we believe that the universe and everyone in it is out to get us. But uh, Jason Silva, um, I, I first learned about him on, on Tom Bilyeu's show, Impact Theory. He introduced to me the idea of pronoia, which is, the universe was designed from the beginning to conspire on our behalf, right? And so consistency, what that does in any way, good, bad, doesn't matter, dark light, we choose what to focus on. And, and through that consistent practice and that repetitive focus, we then create an inner world which dictates the future outer world that has to catch up to it and, and manifest itself. So the consistency that we practice creates conglomeration of events Uh, the consistency creates uh, everything Uh, it it looks like synchronicity but because we're choosing to remain prepared and consistent for whatever comes and and react accordingly to it and uh, acquire the new habits to do it effectively uh, we become for the universe now as a co-creator with us as a co-conspirator we become predictable we're, we're dependable it knows where we're headed and what we're doing, no matter what it throws at us. And, and that's another beautiful point is life kicks our teeth in, but it's supposed to. And the universe will throw at us surprises left and right. However, if we're consistently focused on what we want to create, no distraction, no uh, death, no murder, no car accident, no ugliness, no darkness in the world that does come into our lives sooner or later, will permanently distract us from that. It will devastate us. It will hurt us. But through consistency, we can get back on track, back into the creation process, and keep bulldozing forward like we need to in order to 
optimize this life and utilize every tool that we possibly can to, to literally master whatever we choose to master for us. So it's like consistency can be your greatest ally or your greatest enemy towards your positive or, or negative ends, depending on which way you apply it. Absolutely. And, and Jim Rohn speaks beautifully about that exact topic. He says, uh, the light and the dark always fight and push against one another. Um, it's either through discipline or neglect that you'll create the life you live. And it wasn't until 2014, after my third divorce and, and being out of the mental hospital for a couple of months, that I came across Jim Rohn. And to hear something like that was so empowering. I, I've never really thought like that before. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm in charge of me? Holy crap. I never was growing up. I had an incredible mother who I love and respect so much. And she was uh, able to protect me from the world so wonderfully. And that's part of the reason I had such a beautiful childhood. But that didn't prepare me for the real world. When I got out, holy crap, was I in for a surprise. <laughs> wow. wow. So is there a part of you that wishes you had a little bit more adversity when you were a younger man? Or are you, are you able to accept things no, as they are? Not at all. I have no regrets. And, and uh, I'm so glad that my mom raised me the way she did because everything unfolded the way it was supposed to. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't change a thing, honestly, looking back. I had such a beautiful childhood, and she was consistently doing her best with what she knew how to do, and that was what made it beautiful. That's that's. I love the way that you frame that. I'll uh, just share a little bit. I uh, through I mentioned PSI seminars with you earlier, and when I went through their program back in '08, I they had an exercise whereby you had the opportunity to see your parents as children, right? So. Mm-hmm if you had an, an ill relationship with your parents or a negative relationship with your parents or something that had transpired with them, you know, as a young adult or as a young person, you have the tendency to have this negative energy, this sort of hatred, this sort of animosity toward them for that. Yeah, yeah. But then when you're able to travel back in time in their body and see them as a young child, sure. right? see them that. as a young person, and you look at what they experienced, and then you realized exactly what you said, which was, they did the best that they could. They were doing everything that they could, you know, with the manual that they had been given or not given. Gotta love them for that. You gotta love them for that, right? It could have been worse, man. Absolutely. And that helped me let a little let go of some of the animosity I had toward my mom when I was growing up, you know. And uh, you reminded me of that when you said that very thing, you know. Have so you heard that, of John Asaraf? Oh yeah, for sure. You probably saw his interview with Tom Bilyeu's show on Impact Theory. I, I, you know what? I didn't catch the whole thing. It was incredible. He shared an exact story about that exact exercise that really? he went through at maybe the same seminar. I don't know. Could be. But he went through that, and uh, the guy was like, hey, can you forgive your father? He's F that. I'll never forgive my father, <laughs> man. And he was angry, you know, after decades. And he, he went through that exercise, and it shifted everything for him. Yeah, it's amazing. Like You, you know, you see someone... Maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they're misinformed or maybe there's just a horrible miscommunication, but you're seeing a, an adult at their worst. Yeah. And it's really easy to forget that that adult was at one point 18 inches long and crying and dependent on someone else, right? Oh, yeah. I took pictures of my mom at her condo just last week. Um, beautiful little baby picture. She was three, maybe four. And that's who I think of when I talk to my mom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's beautiful, man. Absolutely beautiful. So you had... You had walked us up to the point at which you um, 
we're talking about having some anger towards your parents for the divorce and all of that fun stuff. But at what point um, after that, or did you at any point after that, have an opportunity to really change your perspective or frame that differently? Uh, recently, I was angry for a long time. And I was feeling victimized and, and betrayed uh, for years. And I never shared that with them, but I didn't see it as necessary either. It wasn't until I took a look at my beliefs and realized all of my misperceptions and misunderstandings thought about things and realized, you know, this isn't serving me. This is not a useful belief. Mm-hmm. This is har- harming me and it's harming my children. So I need to do something about that. So I wrote down the belief on one page and called it my old belief system. And uh, on the next page, I entitled it New Beliefs. And uh, that was the start of, on, on the website, I have what's called the Good in the Head Beliefs Project. And that was the start of that project. It's a useful, useful tool to really improve the quality of life because our thoughts become things and our things become our personality and our life and our habits. And the way we think and, and believe and, and reframe anything can harm us or it can help us. So when it came to my parents, um, I've always adored them and loved them so much. And it wasn't until John Assaraf's uh, message on, on Tom Bilyeu's show, Impact Theory, that mm-hmm. I heard that and I, I tried that out and it changed my world. I, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow. my parents are more incredible than I ever realized, yeah. you know? Yeah. So this was this was quite the endeavor then because, you know, how many years ago would this have been that you were holding on to this? Like from 18 to, you said like 2014? Yeah. So like half your life, basically, yeah, kind of a thing. Wow. A couple of decades. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I could regret that and be like, I'm so sad about that. But why focus on, on that, you know? And I can focus on the here and now and what's to come and make that even more beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's the whole idea of resistance. You know, if you if you look past and if you look back and resist or regret the thing that you had, how could you possibly be happy with where you are? Mm-hmm. You know, if things, quote unquote, should be different right? Then quote unquote, you could be in a better place, but then that's just playing victim, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And it's interesting, but it isn't until we focus upon the past or our regrets or things to be sad about that we then feel regretful and sad. And when we live in the past, we're in a cage and we never get out of that cage. We never escape it until maybe, you know, someone brings a key along and slips it through the bars and says, Hey, unlock that door check this world out that you're missing out on. And, and that's why I created Good in the Head. That's why I share content every day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And um, I made a YouTube channel and I've, I've made some goofy videos. And I mean, I, I have to. And on Good in the Head, um, I wrote a book and it's one page for each day of the year as a reminder to myself. And then because of Tom and Lisa, Ed Milet, um, so many content providers that I've absorbed and listened to, I had to start sharing these messages with everyone else because they were helping me so much mm-hmm. in my journey. And I'm like, holy crap, I've got a list of tools a mile long, man. I don't use them all. I don't need to, but they're there on, on the website. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, daily perspective shift is what that one's called. You go into that, you, you click on the month and the day, and then boom, there it is. Or, you know, under Good in the Head on Facebook and Instagram, I, I post every single day. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it a few days now on Hardwater. Yeah. And uh, I hope you don't mind. I mean, <laughs> just sharing some stuff. And I love what you're putting out. 
Thanks, brother. Yeah, not at all. I mean, uh, the stuff that you're putting out is extremely valuable, and uh, anyone who consumes it will be altered for for consuming it. And at least, you know, like you said, have another tool in the toolbox that they can approach life with, and that's a beautiful thing, my friend. Yeah. You know, and none of it's my content, my tools. It's just things that I've spent literally thousands of hours studying and researching and diving as deep as I possibly could into. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, man, I, I never did anything like this before. Um, but I work at Boeing and we're able to listen to content while we work. And I've gotten to the point uh, at the work that I do, building this electrical harness that then goes into an Apache helicopter mm-hmm. and protects our troops and our people everywhere, that I'm able to listen to six to 10 hours a day of content, you know? And after a few years of doing that, that's thousands of hours, man. It changed all my neural pathways. I'm a different man than I was six months ago, let alone five years ago. I'm so grateful for all the content providers that are out there like you, like Tom Bilyeu, like Ed Milet, Tony Robbins. I mean, there there are so many greats out there. There really are, man. And the fact that you mentioned my name in the same sentence with those guys, that's humbling. Oh, well, (laughs) however, I believe that I'm on their level, but uh, that was kind of cool to hear. Um, yeah, I, I believe that we're all on the same level. Yeah, for sure. I really do. Not physically, not with habits and not with results as of yet, but mm-hmm. on the inside. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And that's what I'm referring to. My skill set has got a long way to go yeah, to catch up to any of those mine guys. <laughs> Here we go, right? That's it, man. Got some work to do. That's it, man. That's the, that's, you know, that's part of the beauty of the journey is, uh, you know, falling, picking yourself up, picking up some knowledge and uh, moving forward. And then helping others do the same. Helping others do the same. Man. That's it's what it's about. No greater feeling, right? That's for sure. Dude, that's so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because the reality is you talked about, you know, the zero to six programming and the young adulthood, you know, and how you carry that forward. And now you've had an opportunity, you know, through uh, a work environment that allows you to consume. You literally have rewired your brain yeah. through this consistency of feeding yourself a different message. And now you have all these tools in your head. And it's it's one of these things that anyone ha- anyone can do on some level, right? Oh, yeah. Anybody. Yeah. If a piece of crap like the man I literally used to be (laughs) can can go anywhere and improve or grow better, go stronger, anybody can do this. I don't care if you're homeless, on drugs, on the street, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do this. Yeah, for sure. It's the difference between can and will, though, right? Absolutely. What, What is the difference, though? You know? Yeah. Well, I can I can tell you if you want to hear a story. I do. Okay, so I'm at a men's leadership seminar. It's 11 days. I'm isolated on a ranch with, you know, 100 other dudes. And we're uh, rebuilding the front end of a house as part of a project that we're doing. And so I go to the, uh, the ranch foreman, and I basically said, you know, we need a tool. So I came to him. I said, hey, man, can you tell me where the hammer is? And he looks at me. He goes, yeah. And then he turned around and went back to work. And I stood there in shock. I said, no, man, can you, can you tell me where the hammers are? And he looked at me and said, yeah, I already told you I can. And we went back and forth like this for a couple minutes, and I was puzzled because <laughs> I wasn't picking up the lesson, you know. You got it, though. And I finally turned around, and I said, listen, will you tell me where the hammers are? He said, yeah, they're right over there. So the difference between can and will is ability versus action, Interesting. you know. So we all have the ability, but will we take the action is, is the real question, right? You know, uh, just yesterday, I reached out to somebody, and I've just designed a course that I'm putting out for like forty nine ninety nine. It's nothing. It's like ten Starbucks coffees. Skip the ten coffees and buy this, and and away you go. You know, mm-hmm. this is a great starting point. But I was offering this content, and um, 
I said, look, when you're ready, here it is. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here. And this person said, hey, did anybody reach out to you from the group that I, I had you join that I'm a part of? And I'm like, no, not yet. And she's like, what? I'm really shocked. I'm surprised. And um, I wasn't. And I said, no, you see, people come to me when they're ready. All I'm doing is planting seeds, sharing these quotes and, and all these things that I've been learning. That's all I'm doing. When people are ready, that's when they will, instead of just wondering if they can or not. 100%. That's, that's profound. Now, one of the things that was really impactful as I read through your story on the Good in the Head website is you talk about 15 years of darkness, 15 years of depression that you were experiencing. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can walk us down that road. What was the impetus for you feeling that way? Or do you know? And, you know, as you started to feel that way, what compounded it and caused it to last that period of time? Um, impetus. Can you define that? So like uh, what caused? Okay. What caused it? Um, I know exactly. Now, years later, um, what happened was uh, I was in a rush to get married. Uh, I met a gal. Uh, fell madly head over heels, you know, how you do. And within less than four weeks, we were married. We eloped, um, much to the chagrin of some angry parents, uh, hers, not mine. Mine were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and her, her parents are, are wonderful people. I'm, I'm not dissing on them at all. But we ended up uh, going from BYU back down to Mesa, started our life there. Uh, I was working out at TRW at the time, and, and we got pregnant within a few months. And beautiful start to an incredible life. And uh, Jim Rohn says, you know, neglect or discipline, right? We're out on our own, first time really ever being married or out on our own. And uh, we let things go for a while. We, we practiced neglect consistently. And as a result, eventually a few years later, I was working a lot of hours. Um, I was away from home all the time. And an incredible job that, to this day, probably my favorite thing I've ever done. For two years, I worked for this woman who had spinal bifida. She was four foot three, and I would drive her everywhere uh, when she needed it. She was a lawyer. She owned an art gallery, which we worked out of, and she had a, a fleet of six vans. And we had a stretcher and a wheelchair in every van. We'd go all over Salt Lake City, which is where we were at the time. And, and we'd pick people up, and uh, we'd take them places. But by this time, I'd been working 18-hour days for months straight, seven days a week, on call 24-7 kind of thing, and exhausted, and not realizing it because I was young then, and I could do anything. Yeah. <laughs> but chemically, hormonally, physically, I was just done. And uh, I came in one day, and I remember she said, you know, you're really moody. You should go do something about that. And I misperceived what she was trying to say. In her brilliance, she was saying one thing, and in my exhausted state, I understood another. I said, there's something wrong with me. That's what that meant. And uh, so I went home. I was like, hey, is there something wrong with me? You know, and my ex-wife said, well, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe, but let's go see a doctor. You know, why not? We went in, and he said, oh, you're depressed. Put me on Prozac right away. Okay, well, um, Two weeks later, I was sleeping four hours a day at the very most, usually just two or three hours. I had uh, quit my job, gone back to school full-time, found a full-time job elsewhere. uh, Three weeks into it, I had put together a computer, $4,000 for all the parts at the time, from scratch, with the help of a neighbor. Never even had a computer, really, before. And I turned into Superman. I was like, what is going on? And she was just blown away, you know, and I was proud of myself for the first time in my life, you know, 
always had a self-love and a self-acceptance issue. But then I was like, yeah, this is it. This is how life is supposed to be all the time, you know? And uh, what happened two months in was uh, the same thing that happens with a bow. You know, if you're a bow and arrow archery shooter, you, you pull the bow back and you shoot the arrow. And it keeps its elasticity, its springiness, and its effectiveness. And you can shoot arrows all day long. But if you pull that bow back and you keep it there, uh, you're in trouble. After a couple of months, that, that bow is going to lose its effectiveness and maybe break or, or just not work right ever again. And I broke. And uh, out of nowhere, for no reason, I went out, told my wife, bye, I'm going to work. Went straight to the gun store and bought a gun. Went to work, cleaned out my desk. Everybody was trying to interact and engage with me, but I didn't say a word, man. I just walked out like a zombie. Drove up to a little Cottonwood Canyon in the middle of a snowstorm. Remember, I had an Astro van, and uh, I wrote some goodbye letters, and uh, I looked down the barrel of the gun, and I was done. I was going to end it all. And at this point, we had just had our second son. He was a few months old, and I felt so worthless and so alone, so stupid and uh, I cried and it all came out and uh, I looked down at the gun and all those letters what am I doing <laughs> I was confused uh, it popped me out of that daze uh, of that dark feeling just by letting it out and crying which I hadn't done in so long and here I was up little Cottonwood Canyon in the middle of a blizzard and I needed to get home I didn't want to do this what was I doing right I needed help so I was stuck uh, on some ice in a van rocking back and forth. And this woman in her 40s knocked on the window and said, hey, do you need help? And I'm like, yeah, just trying to get home. That's all I could tell her. And she saw the tears running on my face. She looked in and saw the gun. I guess she might have known right away. But she looked at me and smiled and said, let's get you home. And she gave me a push and away I went down the, down the hill Stopped at the first payphone I found. Back then, that's all we had. And uh, called my wife at the time and said, you know, what do we do? She said, I don't know, but my uncle's a child psychiatrist, uh, Brent Peterson. He was world-renowned, just incredible man, very, very smart. Mm -hmm. And so that was the beginning of a 15-year-old, or 15-year-long um, medicated stupor. <laughs> Got me off Prozac, put me on lithium, uh, Depakote, Depakine, Tried over 20 different antidepressants, and every one of those things kept me in darkness, wanting to die every day for 15 years. Wow. So was it that event? You came back, and you made the phone call. Did you share that event with your wife at the time, and then you guys decided to you know, go see someone? I did. Get a second opinion? Is that how that went down? Yeah. And she wasn't expecting that. Mm. That's kind of when we broke, I think, as a couple. And you guys were young at this point, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah, so young. Two little babies. And, yeah. And uh, she was amazing and incredible to, to go through for years after that, what we went through with me. Mm -hmm. um, before, or at 12 years, we ended our marriage. And uh, again, that, that's something that needed to happen. And it was just the universe conspiring on our behalf and on our children's behalf as well. And uh, everything worked out beautifully. So it, it was all a blessing. Wow. So talk a little bit about your experience at that time frame. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about depression, you know, 
And I, I feel like a lot of people experience it on some level, but don't really understand how to verbalize it or maybe don't see themselves in that place or maybe don't talk about it because of the stigma associated with mental okay. health, that sort of thing. You know, when you were going through this this period of time and you were trying all these different quote unquote solutions in the form of, you know, drugs or what have you, seeing people, whatever the thing was, you know, what was going through your head? How were you feeling about yourself? Did you feel any hope in that place or or was it just one black cloud the whole time? It was a, a really dark black cloud the whole time. I absolutely did not want anybody to know what I was going through. Nobody, not my uh, ex-wife, not my family, nobody. I mean, we, we lived in Wyoming, Salt Lake City, Colorado, and we were away from our families who were still down here in Arizona, and I wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Uh, that's not something I shared. That was private information, period. And uh, it was because of my beliefs and my perceptions. I was like, you know, if I tell someone, they're going to judge me, and they're going to criticize me. They're going to know that I am less than, and I already felt as low as it gets. You dig a hole a million miles deep, and that's where I was, man. And I know I'm not the only one that feels that way, but I know uh, also I'm not the only one that believes that way and doesn't want anybody to know. So fake smile, 15 years, nobody knew I was the best actor. I could have gone to Hollywood. Damn, dude. <laughs> that's a, that's, it just seems like such a long period of time to be in the dark, you know? Mm. Was there, <laughs> when you were experiencing that, was there ever any point where you felt like, you know, if I, if I see this next doctor or I take this next pill that it was going to solve the problem or was there a part oh, yeah. of you that had given up? Uh, um, sometimes there would be little uh, rays of light come through uh, when I would hear a doctor tell me, this is new. This is going to work for you. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, please, please let it work. And for a month or two, it would. And then just back down dar a dark hole, you know, back to where I was. Every single medication, man, every pill, every pharmaceutical I tried, man, it would maybe work for a little while or do worse and, and shoot me off in that direction even even further. But I figured, you know, I'll experiment with anything. I'll try anything yeah, just to be able to be acceptable as a human being and, and worthy of a wife and kids. You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man, for sure. I mean, there's got to be... Man, that, I mean, that's just got to be such a, a tough place to be for any length of time before as long as you were in that, the 15-year period. I mean, yeah. you would think, you know, that every human has their breaking point, you know, and at some point, at some point you're just going to, I mean, you, you would imagine that someone's going to give up unless they have something outside them or something inside them that's driving them or pulling them along. Yeah. What was that for you? What kept you going during that time period? My kids, period. If it weren't for my kids, I wouldn't be here right now. I know that for a fact. Um, my three sons are, are everything to me to this day. They, they're my whole world, and and I love them dearly. And because of them, I've been able to come out of that completely. And I'll never go back. I can't. I won't. Um, from now on, I'm living this life for them, for their children, for their children's children, not just me. It's It's about generations to come. Once I heal, then I can pass that along to them, tools how to heal, and they can pass that along to their babies. And and together, it's possible, I think, that we can all heal. Right now, the current numbers are every 40 seconds, someone commits suicide. Because like you were saying, everybody's got their breaking point. And without help, some of us just aren't going to get out of that. Um, 
after that 12-year marriage, um, a month after that, I, I remember dropping off the kids, and I was working on a drilling rig at the time up in uh, Wyoming. And I drove up there. It's two days early, and uh, I went to the pusher shack, and I knew right where the razor blades were. I got some blades and went out, and I was alone and just listened to this song over and over and, and got in that mood and, and started getting in that dark feeling and felt alone and like it was all worthless. And uh, I tried to kill myself again, and thank God I wasn't successful. I was terrified. And uh, I went to the pusher shack and just fell under the couch and sobbed and sobbed. And he said, whoa, where's all that blood coming from? Holy crap, what the hell's wrong with you? He was pissed at first. But this guy, in, in his wisdom and his life experience, knew to say, look, all you need to do is get you a BMW. And I was pissed. I was like, what the hell's a car going to do for me, man? Come on. He said, no, 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 man. A beautiful Mexican woman, dude. <laughs> Guess what I'm married to right now? After all these years, I finally took his advice. I've been married to her for almost a year and a half. We've been together four and a half years. And it's been a beautiful experience. And uh, he said, look, after 17 years, I was married to the same woman. He showed me a picture of him and the daughters. They were all models. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And he said, yeah, she left me. Took off with some dude. And... Uh, devastated me and I've done what you did and some of these guys out on the rig diving off the top 100 yards up or whatever 100 feet up in the air and and, th- and they're killing themselves it's sad and he said you're gonna look back at this time and you're gonna be grateful for it because someday you're gonna learn how to move on and everything's gonna be okay and at the time you know I'm like if you what, what do you know you know <laughs> went and slept it off and then um before they could even fire me if that's what they would have done I, I quit mm-hmm. um I was lost, I was devastated, and I, I was scared. And so I called my mom and drove all the way back home. And uh, as soon as I got there, I mean, it was, I don't know, 13-hour drive. I remember uh, her and the calmest of my sisters, Jackie, <laughs> they, uh, we went to a movie, and, and they were talking to me. And then my Jackie um, turned around, what the F were you thinking? And she started swinging at me in the back seat, and I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> And she's like the sweetest person ever. And it made me realize I can't do this again. I can't go there again. Um, years later, I, I did a few more times try, but I, I just couldn't. I didn't ever want to die. I just wanted to escape the pain and the suffering. And I didn't know how. I didn't right. have the tools. Right. But I dragged my three sons through numerous relationships. We moved on an average for that 15 years every six months. Wow. On an average, I had a new girlfriend every six months. Um, currently on my fourth marriage and with all the lessons I've learned and the tools I've learned in the last 15, 20, 30 years, I'm finally starting to get it right. So how did your, you know, how did your children respond to you at this point in your life? You know, it would, I would think that the relationship would have been strained to say the least, or, or were they unaware of what you were experiencing? Oh, they were massively unaware and I kept it that way on purpose. Oh yeah. Um, after that, car incident with my calm sister Jackie and my mom um, not 30 minutes later my ex-wife called and said look having a rough time I need to get my stuff straight maybe you could take the boys and uh, I said I'll, I'll be right there I'm on my way 12 hours straight went up again didn't sleep for a couple days but I got my kids came back down here and uh, my mom and her husband Wes they literally paid my bills for a couple years while I got a little better, you know, mm-hmm. in my mind. And uh, 
got on with life and they gave me some great advice. They said, look, your kids are kids. They're 10, they're seven and they're three. And uh, for now, just let them be kids. You know, if you need to talk about the rough stuff, come to us or go to a friend or something, but don't ever bring it up with them. And so I never did ever. And I'm really glad because sometimes when parents um, diminish the other parent to the child, that's traumatic. That's like, Hey, look, I am 50% of my mom or my dad, and here you are dissing them and basically dissing me as well. And that's never helpful. It's not useful at all, I don't think. But thankfully, I had my kids, and they kept me going, man. Yeah, that's amazing. It's It just strikes me as incredible that, uh, you know, you had a circle of people who had the wisdom mm-hmm. to advise you of that. I was so blessed. You know? Still am. That's, that's amazing. So many people out there go through the exact same or way worse, and, and they have no one, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason for this website. You know, hey, there are resources, there are people, there are groups, there are things you can do for you when nobody else will, because ultimately we are our responsibility. Absolutely. We shouldn't depend on anybody to do something for us that we can and should do for ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Not the basics. I mean, we, you know, there's a point in life where we want to be interdependent, but in order to be interdependent, we have to first bring a healthy, you know, beingness to that or else we drag the team down, so to speak. You speak really eloquently about that. You bring up the the mind, body, spirit connection and the importance of that. And it made me think, I was like, wow, that's brilliant. Because when you get the mind, the brain, the chemistry, the hormones Mm -hmm. and the body, the neural pathways and the physicality of it all through nutrition, exercise, you know, when those things are dialed in, the spirit and who we actually are can then expand into what it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I mean, some of his content is unreal. I now have a theory that possibly our energy, our life force, whatever you want to call it, our spirit, mm-hmm. our soul, who we actually are, because we're not this body, you know, this is just a vehicle we're using for a little while. But I'm wondering if maybe it isn't stored in the pineal gland. And that interests me because he says, you know, that, you know, through MRIs and pictures or or whatever technology they're using now to see this, that that's where all these vibratory energies are taking place. Like it's, it's alive in there, but because of of the fluoridation and the water I'm drinking right now, the the chlorine, the, the different chemicals and minerals and all this overconsumption of sugar and carbohydrates that we I mean, that's the world we live in, man. Mm-hmm. We got to have it to survive. But these things literally crystallize um, the the vibratory properties within the pineal gland. And, and my son, who's in the Marines right now, he's in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He told me about this. <laughs> oh, he told you about Dispenza? Well. Or the pineal gland? He, he researched the pineal gland yeah. and turned me on to that. And then Dispenza, later I came across him and I only connected the two. And I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah. Wait, what he has research has cretins, man, there's something to this. And then I dove deeper into that and I was like, oh my gosh, interesting. It really is, man. There's a lot of stuff that we're having an opportunity to see, like you were saying with MRIs or whatever technology, fMRIs, whatever technology they're using that will at least allow us to know what part of our head is lighting up from the physical standpoint. Hmm. But we still don't know what the spiritual driver is, right? Like if you cloned you, would you still be you? Would you have the same personality? I I wondered that. Who knows? You know, I, I don't know where that comes from, but I do know that not all of our energy comes from calories. You know, some of our energy comes from purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you can absolutely, you know, I can get on something that really 
lights me up and stay up all night long and not even feel it because yeah. it, I just, I'm, I'm in love with what I'm doing. Right. And then you talked about this a little bit with your story. You talked about the pain and not wanting to feel the pain. And I think a lot of times what I've seen in myself and in others is we live in a world where you're not supposed to feel pain, right? If you watch television, for example, every commercial is people smiling, you know, drinking at the bar, you know, driving a new car, wanting a new car. You're always in want of something that you don't have, or there's always other people at the bar having fun with the next Michelob or, you know, whatever the beer commercial is kind of a thing. Without it, you won't be whole. Yeah, without it, you you're not complete. Yeah. yeah. So here you are as the, as, as average Joe or Jane, like going to work or taking care of your family or whatever you do. And then at the end of the day, you sit down and you're like, is this all there is? Hmm. You know, what is, what is the purpose yeah. of doing this? Am I just working so that I can rest at night with a roof over my head? You know, what is the reason for this? And then, so become, disempowering and de-energizing, isn't it? A hundred percent. I'm hopeless. hundred <laughs> percent. And then you wonder, you know, it's like, okay, no wonder people are numbing out, right? Yeah. Like no wonder dad wants to stay at work an extra six hours because, you know, things aren't right at home. They're, they're not the perfect family at home or, you know, somebody comes in and they plop themselves down in front of the tube, you know, or, or YouTube or whatever the on-demand services that you're watching nowadays. And they watch eight hours of that and then fall asleep in a chair. Right. Hours on the phone. Scrolling yeah. through Facebook, being programmed by other people on how to think instead of programming ourselves. Yeah. And I think people don't see that as numbing out. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, if someone is. Comes their norm, right? Yeah, it's the norm, right? And it's an acceptable norm. Habit whereas, of neglect. Exactly. Habit of neglect. And it's acceptable because it's not an illegal drug or, you know, some form of. Ah, but just as addictive. Every bit as addictive and probably more damaging, to yeah, be quite absolutely. honest. Absolutely. From a mental standpoint. Wow. Have you ever read the book or, or heard about it. It's uh, Napoleon Hill actually wrote it about uh, the devil. I can't remember. The oh, title. Outwitting the Devil? Yeah. That's a great book. That's one of my favorite. It's, I love it more than uh, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. It's, it's a way better book. And what was that guy? Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, yeah. He had the prediction that we're now living in the middle of. Yeah. It wasn't really going on back then, man. But we are living out what they predicted decades mm. and decades ago. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's interesting that we think we're different. We, oh, we're so different. We're so evolved. And the reality of it is if you go into any marketing department of, of someone who knows what it really means to market, they will tell you, first off, human psychology hasn't changed for 10,000 years. We want to feel significant and right. important. Exactly. We want to feel good. Why does this ad from 1900 still work today? Because human psychology hasn't changed for 10,000 years. So, like, we're getting to the point where people are starting to wake up to this. Mm. And realize that they have some ability to steer the ship, so to speak, right? And they're becoming wealthy quickly because of it, having a <laughs> life of abundance. That's true. But in just in terms of the average person, like people like yourself, you know, putting out this fantastic information, you know, I'm doing my part, you know, other people are doing their part. More and more people are becoming aware of the fact that, hey, you can steer your meat suit in a different direction. I love that. You know, you can drive that thing. That's you, all this you know, is. It's not driving you kind of a thing, you know? How do you optimize this meat suit in service of your soul work, your energizing yeah. thing that you're interested in. Yeah. And how do you even find what that is, right? If the first 18 years of your life are spent, you know, chained to a desk, learning things you don't want to learn in the first place. Yeah. I, I really believe that the wealthy implemented so many social experiments and programs that have decades of research funding them to program us in a way that serves them almost like on the matrix, you know, how he yeah. wakes up and he, looks around and this is the reality mm -hmm. we're being farmed for energy 
Yeah. Well, we are slaves being farmed for our money. Yeah, there's something to that. You know, like when you look at what Rockefeller said about the education system, I think I posted this quote in the Impact Theory group. Um, it's a long one, so I won't repeat it here. But if um, if you look at that, basically what they were after was productive employees, mm-hmm. right? You, you had people who grew up farming. You had people who, you know, lived off the land coming into an industrial age where industry was taking over. And so there's a part of you that's like, well, this is kind of a heinous way of looking at it. And then there's another part of you that's like, well we have this thing happening in the world and we want to take advantage of it. So what's the most efficient means? Well, we need to train people to be obedient servants. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to train them to do. And that's really what the education system, you know, from the early, from early on was designed, you know, to create. I mean, what little boy wants to sit at a desk for six or seven hours, right? Mine didn't, you know, (laughs) I didn't, didn't, you know, and that's when we had recess when I was a kid, I don't even think they have that anymore. Only good part about school. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) PE and recess and lunch. Yeah, that was the the best part. But, um, you know, it's interesting that, um, that we live, we live this way. We think we're different. We're not, you know, we think we've got everything figured out. Well, if you look at antidepressant descriptions, the U S or North America as a whole leads the world. Right. So having things doesn't translate to having happiness at all. So where are we, Pete? What do we need to do differently to snap out of it, my friend? From what I've learned, um, and I'll admit in 2014, I started with a clean slate. I didn't know where to go or what to do. But I did believe that if I found a good source of good information and consistently repeated that instead of this crap, this darkness that had become my norm, that eventually I could create an inner world and through creating that, I could find some peace and happiness and healing within myself that would then outwardly manifest in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And man, I'll tell you what, dude, it, it has. And that's available to anybody. But that's just the question though, right? Like, was there a part of you that was already on a mission to find that Right. Or did you wake up to the fact that you wanted to seek these sources out? Right. Like you see, I mean, I'm just asking this question because if you walk around, right. You know, it's like, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was Emerson, Emerson or Walden. who talks about man leading a life of quiet desperation. You know, he's walking around with his head down, Mm. quietly desperate, but not asking for help, not doing anything about it. Mm. And, um, you know, that's what I see when I go places. People are separate, but they're in the same room. Yeah. You know, people are doing something, but they're not engaged. When people we're are, meant to be. Right, yeah. right. People are with their significant other, but they're not really giving them their time or attention. And that's the norm now. I mean, right. yeah, we were talking about the water we drink, uh, the phones. The uh, For hundreds of years, the Chinese, um, they didn't have school to program their children. So they gave them opium and they kept them drugged. And they were able to work harder and longer and get more out of them for a lot of time. And uh, I really think that the pharmaceutical companies, the water we drink, the food we eat, everything that has to do with our intake of nutrition, mm-hmm. the overconsumption of, of sugar and, and uh, the carbs, that's the number one cause for disease and depression, period. They're calling Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. Mm-hmm. I mean... We are in control of this to a certain extent. And until we are able to wake up and realize that, we're in trouble, all of us. Um, my third wife, a uh, great lady, and she has three wonderful kids that I, I miss. I adored them. 
And I remember the day, the last day that I really wanted to end it all. I finally opened up to her about it and I shared like, hey, I got a plan and that scares me and I need help and I don't know what to do. Immediately she sat up, we had a discussion, we called, uh, we had great insurance, Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time, got into the best, from what everyone said, the best hospital, a mental hospital uh, in the valley in Scottsdale. And I checked myself in and it was the worst experience I've had in my life, man. Four really? days of literal hell. I was over drugged. I was terrified. And this, the full story is on the website under my story, right? That's mm-hmm. my old story, mm-hmm. not my new story. Okay. But because of her, I went through all of these things and then eventually got off of those medications after 15 years, right? She said, hey, has that ever really helped you? Has it done what it's supposed to and brought you out of that stupor and that dark place and made you happy? Right. I was like, wow, never once. Never been asked that question, never thought about it. Just believe the doctors. And so I got off of that. And for the first time at the hospital, the beauty that came out of that is I I shared some stuff about myself, you know, that I I share on the website now with no problem Mm because it's a tool for people. Sure. But it was scary, the first group I went to. And that was in 2014, you know, and, and they shared and I connected with some people on a deep, meaningful level. And I realized I'm not the only one. Wow. That was magical for me, man. She got me off these meds, very controlling woman, which is exactly what I needed at that time. Like the universe sent her into my life at the perfect moment. Right. And after that, I, I got my mind back and I was me again. And, and, uh, I don't think she liked that too much. I wasn't as <laughs> malleable or controllable and I was a different person. And, right. uh, and we went our separate ways. And that's when I really started over with that blank slate all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, she went into church and looked for help. And these people told her, yeah, hey, uh, we've got these kids with some similar symptoms and we put them on uh, Q96 Empower Plus. It's all natural vitamins, minerals. So... She said, you're going to do this and you're going to get off these pills. And I was terrified because my doctors had always said, you go off these pills, you will kill someone or yourself, period. And I always believed it. So I went to my uh, psychiatrist I had at the time right here in Mesa and told him my plan. I said, look, I'm not asking permission. I'm just looking for your guidance as I go along. Is there anything I need to know or do? He said, yeah, you need to get the F out of my office right now. Really? If you're not going to do what I say, I'm not going to try and help you get out. And that was it. Wow. Last time I went to a psychiatrist, but these pills, I've tried to go off of them three or four times now over the last six years. Mm-hmm. And each time those old symptoms begin to come back, I'm noise sensitive. I'm irritable. I become the world's biggest dickhead. I'm, I'm impatient. And I'm like, what in the heck is my mind, my brain, my physical body missing that I need that's in that? And I'm like, you know what? Don't care. It helps, it works, so I'm going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And whatever tools we find and experiment that work, great, keep doing it. If it's not working, leave it behind. Maybe it'll work in five or ten years when we try it again. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I mean, that you would uh, subject yourself to that over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. And not really think about the result. Couldn't. Know? Like the result. Well, yeah, right, you were Just numbed. like those Chinese slaves on opium, I was numb. You were numb, yeah, exactly. But the, that's it, right? Like let results be your guide. yeah. Results don't lie, man. They don't lie. That's, yeah, one of my mentors says, you know, there's no greater way to gauge a man than by results. 
often harsh, but always fair. Oh, always true. And I love that, man. It's it's so true. But how many times do do people in general or, you know, really take a look at the results that they're generating and say, you know, this isn't the direction I want to go. It's kind of like that idea that people talk about wanting to learn new things. I want to, you know, I'm going to do this. So I want to learn this new thing. Okay. But what are you going to do with that new thing once you learn it? Mm. Or, you know, I want to change this, that, or the other thing in my life and become something more than myself. Mm. And when people talk about change and growth, they exclude themselves from being part of the population who doesn't change and grow. And I might be doing it right now. <laughs> but if we were all on this path of change and growth and we were learning from our results perpetually, then we would all be on a never-ending spiral upward. Instead of downward. Right. But because that isn't the case, we all have to look at ourselves and say, you know what? Hey, I don't know everything. There's yeah. something out there that I need to be in tune to. Yeah. And if I'm numb because of Netflix or drugs or antipsychotics or whatever the thing is that I'm taking, then how could I possibly pay attention to my results? How could I possibly change what's going on in my life? You wouldn't. Life? Yeah, you wouldn't. You're a victim at that point. And without even realizing it most of the time, mm -hmm. just like Neo in the Matrix. Right? Yeah. You know, that's interesting you said that because uh, High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard, I just read it last night and posted it. Mm -hmm. And it was just two pages. He said, how to stay humble over five steps. Incredible content, man. It's like uh, page 302, 303, somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. It, it just, it, yeah, exactly what you said. That's amazing, man. That's <laughs> I love so what amazing. he teaches. It's good stuff. Yeah, I actually picked up that book and haven't had a chance to dive into it yet. I've got a stack of stuff. This is by my bed forever, the yeah. rest of my life, every oh, wow. night. It's that good, huh? It, it's, yeah. That's fantastic. That, and then in the morning, I always read since 2014. Mm -hmm. I, I had to come up with a morning routine, right? Yeah. Uh, Melody Beattie's book, uh, The Language of Letting Go. I got to plug that everywhere I go every day, you know, because she went through some stuff that makes my world look like Disneyland, mm. even that rough 15 years. And if she was able to learn some tools and do what she's done, holy mackerel, it, it's possible for anybody. It's available to anyone to change, to grow, to, to evolve. Would you say that's the most impactful book you've ever read? Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I got to thank you for for sharing that because I hadn't heard of that book until you until I saw that you had posted it. So it's now it's on my wish list, uh, a little Amazon wish list. You're grabbing that pretty soon. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. Um, Robin Sharma, uh, he was another incredibly impactful person on Tom Bilyeu's show mm -hmm. on Impact Theory. I mean, he's he's such an incredible orator. He speaks so well, but his books, man, I, I've listened to a, a few of them. Um, brought him home for the my youngest son, who's he's the only one at the house now. He he uh, started listening to uh, the monk with a Ferrari, I think it was called, and then uh, oh were, yeah, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Yeah, that's yeah. that was such a good book. And Robin Sharma uh, says that through books, we're able to meditate with the author, even if they've been dead hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And and meditation and yoga, I gotta say, man, most helpful tools I've come across so far. Very cool. So let's let's dive into your uh, meditation practice. Everyone seems to do it a different way. Oh, yeah. And Hundreds of, of people, ways, right? Yeah, but a lot of people avoid it because they think they're not doing it correctly. That's exactly why I avoided it that? two years. Oh, yeah. I, I was, hands yeah. off, man. I'm not even going there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so what is your experience like when you meditate? How do you, uh, how do, you do it? And, um, you know, what goes through your head or doesn't go through your head? I wouldn't even try it until Emily Fletcher was on Tom Bilyeu's show, Impact Theory. <laughs> 
it might have been his show Health Theory. I can't remember which one it was on, but Health Theory is even better in my opinion. And uh, Emily Fletcher, she uh, wrote the book uh, Accomplish More, Stress Less, Accomplish More. And uh, in there, she describes why to meditate for like nine chapters. In chapter 10, she explains the 15 minutes it takes. And I'm like, I got 15 minutes, you know? So for the first two minutes, almost like an alien, you know, if you were beamed up into a, a spaceship, scan your body, go up and down it a couple times, just takes within two minutes, right? Look at the five senses and, and realize, hey, I'm grateful for my sight. What do I see? You know, is the sunlight shining through my closed eyelids? Uh, is it completely dark or black? And more important than sight that comes from our eyes, I'm so grateful for my vision. That is empowering. And then what am I smelling right now? What am I tasting right now? What am I hearing this moment? The ringing in my ears. I've got uh, what's called tinnitus. And it's always so loud and, and ringing all the time. And I could say, ah, I just wanted to end. And I used to. But now I say, that's just the universe communicating with me. It's energy flowing through the way it needs to. Thank you. And then the, the fifth part is, look at your whole body. Is there pain, discomfort anywhere? Just be aware of it. you know. And that grounds you and centers you. Then for the next, I don't know, 12, 13 minutes, um, I do what's called box breathing, which I learned from Mark Devine's interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just basically when you breathe in all the way, fully expanding your lungs for four counts. Hold it for four counts, and then expel all of the air. Empty your lungs completely for four counts, and then hold that for four counts. And when you hold it at the bottom end with no air in your lungs... First time I tried it, I freaked out. Almost had a panic attack. I'm like, oh my gosh. But then that next breath is so much sweeter. So box breathing throughout the next 12, 13 minutes. And think of one word for the day, you know, healing. I did that for months. And then I healed. Uh, Abundance, love, comfort. And I visualize my youngest son, my middle son, my oldest son, and then my wife. Each one of her kids, our granddaughter, I visualize my family, every one of them, her family, every one of them, smiling, laughing, happy. And God, man, the feeling that comes from that is beautiful. All the while, box breathing, 12, 13 minutes. And this breathing is, it, that's also one of the best tools I've come across. It's incredible. And the Navy SEALs use it. It's, if it's good enough for them, I'm going to try it out, right? Sure. And then uh, at the last two minutes, after sending them the healing energy or the love, and each breath in, I'm, I'm envisioning energy from not just this whole universe, but other universes forever around just coming into me and expanding while I hold my breath. And then when I blow out, I send it to each individual person, healing, comfort, whatever I feel they need, you know. And then the last two minutes is nothing but visualization. Uh, What is my life going to look like in 10 years? Because of my consistency and my lack of neglect, and my overuse of discipline at this point in my life. What am I creating that's going to eventually manifest in 10 years? And I see that in detail. And it's a good place. I like it. That's beautiful, man. So you go about 15 minutes with that and then jump into uh, jump into your day, or do you have uh, part of your morning routine continued after that? Oh, man. Uh, the morning routine um, is on a page on the website. It's called... The, the Good in the Head 30-Day Habit Hacking Challenge. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing for over two years now, almost three years. 
wake up at 3.20. Um, for 10 minutes, I do box breathing while I massage my wife's shoulders and back, which we both need working at Boeing. <laughs> and then right at 3.30, another <laughs> alarm goes off, right? And I get up. I don't wait because I will go back to sleep. And, and the breathing, for some reason, wakes me up and energizes me, right? So that's helpful. But I get in the shower, nothing but gratitude and love. What do I love? What am I grateful for, you know? And as I shower, that's all that I've, I'm thinking about. And as soon as that water hits, bam, I'm grateful. For what? Oh, well, this, that, that. You know, it's different every day. Mm-hmm. Now, when I go to the ocean, when I hop in the pool, water triggers it now. NLP, neuralistic Programming. We can use our physical sensory uh, triggers to then habituate practices within our inner world, you know, and that gratitude's one of them. After that, I hop out. I'm done with my gratitude list. Um, at the end of the shower, turn it on full blast cold, stay in there as long as I can. And this time of year, you know, Arizona cold is different than up north cold. Right. <laughs> Very much. This is nothing here. So anybody can do it. Then... Um, I've got something on my mirror. I brought a copy of it. It's what I go through, um, what my life is going to look like by the age of 55, you know, in detail. I read that. I read Marissa Peer's message, I am enough. Every time I look at the mirror, every time I look at the refrigerator, it's framed in my office. Everywhere I go, I am enough. Finally, I am. Finally. After, what, 46, 47 years. Mm. So I loved her message. Marissa Peer was... First time I saw her was on the Lewis House show. And then I watched 10, 15 other videos of hers on YouTube. Anything that was hers, I, I just over and over and over again for hours had to. And I love it. Getting a tattoo next weekend, I am enough on my body. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and, and then the morning routine continues listening to Earl Nightingale's uh, his 30-day challenge. Um, the Secret? Strangest Secret. Strangest Secret. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Every I day. I looked at it in a while, so you yep. might. You're, you're you're right. right. I listened to it this morning, and it was called. Isn't the that great? Secret. Yeah. From like what, 1950 something, 55 uh, or 56. I don't know if he was. It was a record. Yeah. But it's on yeah. YouTube now. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's cool. A man. record, and YouTube's free. Anybody's yeah. right. Anybody can use these tools, man. Yeah, I love that line from Stranger's Secret. I'm pretty sure it's from Stranger's Secret, where he talks about again results, like looking at your results, mm. and he. And I'm going to completely paraphrase here because I don't remember his words. And I was actually looking for these the other day. So correct me if if you know, but he says something to the effect of, you know, if you want your life to be successful or fulfilled or whatever word he uses, he says, look at what 95% of the population does every day and do the exact opposite. Yep. Is that line in there? <laughs> yeah, it's very similar. I think it's in there. It's so true. Something like that. For back then, he comes up with the statistics and the, and the results of, of that current day. Mm-hmm. And, and now, with the overabundance in our population, mm-hmm. it's completely different. And um, sadly, uh, the numbers don't coincide. We're worse off today than we were back then. Sure. And yeah. We don't have to be. I'm interested to get your take on something. Um, you know, we ha- you talked earlier about having this amazing childhood and how you know, your parents took great care of you guys and, and you loved it. Yeah, they did. And then you went into this period of your life where you got married young, you know, experienced this depression, you faced all this adversity. And today it seems as though the world has obviously gotten easier and easier. I'm going to use the word more feminine, not like in a bad way, mm. 
but we have more feminine energy floating around in the world. Mm. And we have this resurgence in terms of people wanting to do hard things, you know, in a way, because I feel like they, you know, like you're running Spartan races, you're running, you know, ultra races, you know, doing crazy workouts at CrossFit or, you know, reading five books in a month or so, you know, all of these things that require you to stretch yourself in some way, shape or form. And the outcome isn't guaranteed. That means that the, the adversity might beat you, you know? So when I'm looking at the population as a whole and more and more people seem to be open to embracing these hard things, I'm wondering what your take on that is, you know, having been on both sides of the fence, you know, from early childhood to going through some tough things now, what role does adversity play in a human's life? Great question. Uh, Well-worded. I think that adversity is a requirement. We're supposed to struggle. We're supposed to uh, have difficult times. We're supposed to suffer and we're supposed to experience uh, pain. Uh, I look at life as the bow that pulls us as the arrow backward. And the, the longer we're back there, we run a risk of, of life breaking. We, we might break if that bow is pulled back. It, it'll lose its springiness, its elasticity. But if, if we go all the way back and, and we're really having a rough time and then life lets us go, as long as we know what we want, we're clear. Clarity is important. If we're clear on what we want, when life lets us go, man, we're going to fly straight to the bullseye of that target every time. And it's slick, It's cyclical. It's repetitive. Uh, life's not just going to pull us back for the one horrible, devastating experience. More's coming. Promise. <laughs> it's designed that way. The universe was designed to conspire on our behalf. And it's just like the... The cocoon, I mean, that's also a cyclical life uh, analogy we can use. We're a caterpillar, we eat a bunch, we get all, you know, fat and comfy. And then uh, after this cocoon forms around us, we kind of become sedentary. And it's almost like a healing process. Um, You know, our, our gains when we work out, they don't come from when we're tearing our muscles and our, our, our body apart. It comes through the repair process when we're eating and we're resting and we're sleeping. Same thing. When we're in that cocoon, that's what's going on. Um, and then we're transforming within this cocoon. But then if you take the cocoon when it first starts to wiggle mm-hmm. and you cut it open and help that little critter out of there and enable it, it dies soon after rather than living this beautiful two weeks as a butterfly with purpose and beauty, you know. But if you let it struggle out of there, it might still die. But it's going to gain the strength, acquire the tools needed to actually live that beautiful life it was meant to all along. Mm-hmm. And it, like I said, it's cyclical. It keeps happening. Hard hard times are coming, but they don't last. Good times are also coming. And that's just the way it is. 100%. So is that a philosophy that you carry into dealing with your children these days? Yeah, now it is. I had no philosophies, I had no strategy. I was a horrible parent, I'll be honest. I did my best, like my parents did, but with the materials, the tools I had at that time, oh, just last year, uh, my youngest son, Draven, I was joking around with him in the backyard, I'm like, you know, you ought to be thanking me and your mom for screwing up so much over the years and being so imperfect, and he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, man, we taught you all along what not to do, and he's like, holy crap, man, you're totally right, dad, thanks, man, you know? (laughs) 
I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> That's cool stuff. Man. Like, it doesn't matter what we do or don't do. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay despite us. 100%. It's the universe doing its thing. It's not up to us. We just do our best. And when we consistently do our best, our best consistently gets better. So you have this amazing website called Good in the Head. And after having the opportunity to meet you in person and dive into your life a little bit, I think it's the absolute perfect brand for you, my friend. Like you're in 100% <laughs> alignment with that. So fracking perfect, brother. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your intention with it, what you'd like to see happen with it, or why it exists in the world for you as an outlet in the first place. Sure. Hey, like I said, I, uh, my, my buddy, Tim, uh, the has been hosting this website for free now for, uh, what, three, four years. Mm. He's the one that got me thinking about it in the first place. And then um, it was a creative outlet for me. And after the first year, when I wrote something down every single day, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to go back and every single day as part of my morning routine, rewrite it. And unfortunately, I didn't save the originals because it was crap. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's useful and now it's a reminder, a daily reminder of where I'm headed. And I'd love to share that with everybody. You know, this is an opportunity for anyone to copy and paste what I've done, put it on their own word or in a journal and, and make it theirs and, and do with it what they will for them. Find right. what's useful for them and, and go forward. And uh, as far as where good in the head is, is heading, that's the visualization part of the meditation, right? You, you look forward 10 years and, and make it happen now as much as possible. And where I see good in the head in 10 years, uh, I don't know how, I don't know why or, or, or what will come of it, but I can see living on a beach somewhere in a three-story building where family's welcome anytime at the bottom. In the middle is a, a podcast uh, guest for the week with their family where they come and stay with us for a full week mm-hmm. and just enjoy life together. And then we'll be on the top where when in one of the rooms, there's the podcast. Hey, look at this view. How do you feel? Let's feel good together. And let's talk about some great stuff that hopefully help some people that are looking for it. Cause not everybody is nobody just all of a sudden wants to wake up. Pain has to happen first to kind of perpetuate that. I just designed a, a my first course of 12 online. It's all about self-acceptance, self-love, self-healing. And like I said, I mean, you skip Starbucks for a week and you can pay for it. It's nothing. It's like $49.99. I I send it out a week at a time. uh, And I I try to engage with the people that I'm working with as often as I can. Um, But my time is valuable. And I I love my family. Every minute I can get with them. uh, That's what it's about, really. And I put something on the wall that I heard not too long ago. And it was that um, people that pay, pay attention. And that's when I decided, oh, they're right. You know, if somebody's going to value themselves enough to put forth enough effort to, to pay, to grow and to evolve and to get a great starting point on, on where to start doing that mm-hmm. and uh, have some personal accountability, but also be accountable to someone else, that's going to cause a series, a series of events that will build up momentum for anyone and hopefully keep them going for the rest of their lives, you know? Yeah, 100%. That's what it's about. Yeah, money is a commitment, and most people follow the money, follow yeah. their own money anyway. Absolutely. It's amazing. So at this point in your life 
and your career, when you look at your family, you project out what you're creating, you know, what does success look like for you? I'm already there, brother. <laughs> I am. I can finally say that. Um, a thing that's on my mirror next to the big sign that says, I am enough. It says, first thing on there, I want to retire by the age of 55, healthy, wealthy, and happy. I'm already healthy, wealthy, and happy. And then I go down the list and I realize, huh, depending on my perspective for the day, man, I'm already there. I don't have a million dollars in the bank yet, and I'm not completely debt-free, but that's going to happen. I don't know how, but that's the feeling I get. And uh, once you get to that point, that's pretty great. Do we have time for a quick story? Of course, yeah. So I got a phone call a couple weeks ago, and this person says, hey, going to Costa Rica this summer. The person I was going with um, already paid, but they can't go. Do you want an all-expense paid trip for an ayahuasca experience? And I was like, what? Never done it. Super interested. It's going to happen. And I thought about it. And I got excited. And uh, the last thing this person said to me, it'll be a great healing opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it would. And I hung up and I looked at my wife and uh, said, yeah, they said it would be a great healing opportunity. Here I am, 47 years old. Finally, I said, look, um, I don't need to go there for that. I am healed. I am. It creates everything. And most of us, Say things like, I am shit. Mm-hmm. I am lacking. I am stupid. You know, right. Subconscious hears that and then looks for every opportunity to make that true for us. But when we turn it around and begin, even if at first we feel like it's a lie, start saying, I am something, that's what we're going to be. It's just a matter of time. 100%. Ayahuasca is an interesting thing. I had an opportunity to, uh, to sit in a ceremony um, this past year or for a weekend. Did two nights. And I found that, and again, this is me being judgmental, so take it for what it's worth, right? But I found that in any population, no matter what the tool or the tip or the technique is, whether it's ayahuasca or books or Mm. seminars, I find that there are people there just to be there. And I think some of it is simple escapism. For example, if if I go to the... You know, as much as I love PSI seminars, if I go to PSI seminars, there are people who live inside the seminar and inside the seminar, they're fantastic and they, you know, exercise all the tools. Mm-hmm. But then when you put them in the real world, they're lost. Uh, I'm still there sometimes. You know, we all are. We all are. And so that's why I say this <laughs> yeah. is me being judgmental, mm-hmm. you know, so take it with a grain of salt. This is just my interpretation, my judgment, like it. and it could be completely useless. But I would just challenge people that if they are doing a particular thing to to advance themselves, to step into all aspects of it. So for the ayahuasca experience, my friend Michael Roviello, who was on episodes 22 and 23, um, you know, ex-military, now is huge into the plant medicine community. You know, I had him as a contact, so he gave me some insight, right? And so I went in with some some information, but he didn't give me so much that I could form an opinion on what I should feel or think mm. or do, right? Yeah. So for me, I was, I went in curious And I came out basically the same person. And it wasn't because I, you know, was anti the experience or anti the people or or any of the rest of it. It was just, it didn't do anything for me personally. Yeah, I've heard when you you go out in there and you don't have a purpose, you won't find one. Exactly. So many people, they say when they go in there with a purpose, they find all of it and so much more than they were expecting. Yeah, it was such a quick sort of a thing. The ceremony itself lasts all night. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Um, You know, lots of tribal influences, lots of, you know, music. For me, I'm really sensitive to sound. Yeah, me too. 
So for me, it was, it was not restful when uh, the effects of the DMT hit, it wasn't restful. So I wasn't able to kind of go into that quiet place in my head Hmm. and just experience the DMT around my purpose that I went in with um, because it was so like sensory overload in there. Right. But um, I hear it's different in different places like, uh, you know, Peru, probably if Mm. you're in the middle of the jungle, it may be different. I don't know. Rhythmia. Yeah. could be very different. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it's like anything from my experience and you know, I'm not basing my opinion on this, on this one weekend. I'm going to give it, you know, another shot and another shot to see, you see what the ultimate goal is, but yeah. But at the end of the day, it was, um, it was me evolving to the, to the, to, to be the person who was willing to do that in the first place was my biggest evolution. That's beautiful. I like that. Right. Because before I would just be, uh, yeah, right. Crap. You know, what do I care about some closed to yeah, something that I'm, means something? Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, but now that I've, that I've had the experience, I can speak intelligently at, at least about that one experience and the people that I met in all of them, beautiful people, all of them loving people. Um, yeah. So dude, check it out, man. I, I hope it goes really well for you. And, uh, yeah, maybe when you get back from your experience, you can come back on and tell us what your thoughts are. That'd be interesting. I'd love to, I'd love to know more. Have you seen the documentary, um, the truth about reality? Um, I don't think so. It's on YouTube. It's got Michelle Rodriguez in there. Okay. Which, I mean, she's a badass, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Zappi, uh, the creator of many companies. Mm-hmm. Some very wealthy people are a part of that. Right. And it's a well-done documentary. I highly recommend it. Just to have a glimpse into what possibilities ayahuasca could uh, give to anybody who's willing to try. But like you said, I have a theory that if we experiment with everything, keep what works and leave behind what doesn't to experiment with it again later after we've changed. Mm -hmm. Just like reading a book, you know, you read it, ah, pretty good book. And then 20 years later, you pick it up again and it's a different damn book. What the (laughs) hell? Did they rewrite this? You know? Yeah. Same thing with like ayahuasca or any tool, you know? Definitely. When we're different, it's going to affect us differently. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. You can never step in the same river twice, right? Yeah. You come back to it. It's uh, it's different water. It's different water. I like that, and that's a beautiful thing about it. So yeah, I mean, it was uh, it's definitely something I would encourage people to look into. And here's the thing: here's where I come from. At the end of the day, like if you get help from books, if you get help from seminars, you get help from DMT, ayahuasca, you know, um, psilocybin mushrooms, whatever thing you know helps you become the best version of you. Go for it. You know, yeah. why have judgment around any of it? It's just like, hey, do the thing oh, that man, makes yeah. you the best version of you, whatever that thing is. But just realize that at the end of the day, though, they are tools and that at, at all points in time, you are always the captain of your own ship. I like that. This wow. might help you steer. This might help you turn in a rainstorm, you know, but you are always at the helm. And what if that one thing that you've been so black and white against your entire <laughs> life is the one thing that alters your trajectory forever right. yeah. to, to benefit not just you, your loved ones, but a lot more people. You never know, man. That's true. It's, it's, it's you know, it's like uh, mental FOMO, I guess, right? Like mm-hmm. mental fear of missing out in, in some sense of the word. But yeah, I mean, everyone has to find their thing. And to be open to that, I think, is, is really important. Yeah, that's hard to do, especially really like is. you're talking about the word judgment. I mean, I was, I was raised... LDS, Mormon, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, with my percep- misperceptions and misunderstandings, I was incredibly black and white, very judgmental, very critical, holier than thou. And it's a little embarrassing when I think back now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was sure. better than everybody. 
because as one of the six human needs that Tony Robbins talks about, mm-hmm. it's, you know, we want to feel significant. Sure. And if I were able to compare my uh, successes to the failures of others and spotlight their failures and then look at my successes, you know, mm-hmm. and then shine a light on them in that weak and pitiful way, I was able to feel successful. I was able to feel like I was worth something. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have to play that game anymore, and this is the beauty of the first class I, I designed, all about self-acceptance and self-love and all the tools that help the most to get you there. And this isn't a one-week course, man. It's a lifetime course. It's good stuff. This is work that needs to be done at every level all along the way. When we're finally able to accept and love ourselves and appreciate ourselves, rather than expecting others to give us that and think that we need that from others, magic, man. Life changes so immensely. There's a coach, um, pretty blonde lady. I, I can't remember her name right this second, but I remember seeing her listening to this content while I was at work at Boeing. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, uh, why don't you come up and tell me about your job? And this woman said, oh, I'm a hairdresser. I love this. I love that. Waiting for my my boss, though, to, to appreciate me by the end of the day, you know, and, and she doesn't. And all of us, you know, they get in a, a tizzy by the end of the day. By 2 o'clock, they're all upset and they're angry and the energy of the whole place is just dark mm-hmm. every day. And she says, when's the last time you appreciated yourself? And the lady's like, uh, never. Huh. She goes, yeah, when you start practicing that as a habit, set an alarm on your phone every afternoon. What do you appreciate about you? And don't leave that in the hands of someone who may be incapable of doing that for you. That's when your life is going to change. You're going to be okay, lady. She mm. goes, oh my God, you're so right. Yeah. <laughs> that's so powerful. That's, that's so powerful, man. Yeah, I mean, you can't give away what you don't have within you in the mm. first place. And exactly. That's the beauty of healing, of, of love. Yeah, man. The more Absolutely. you've got in you, the more you can give. That's it, brother. And that's exactly it. You know, like if, if people are running around in an environment with people who don't realize about themselves, right? Like uh, maybe the boss in their situation, like you said, maybe she doesn't appreciate herself and they're looking for appreciation from a woman or a man who doesn't appreciate themselves. Or her language of love, as she totally put different. it. The boss was like, look, I took you guys out for a $2,000 dinner at my expense. Yeah, exactly. You don't think I appreciate you? you know, exactly. They wanted daily comfort, little appreciations. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're all different. Yeah, man. It's it's crazy, but uh, very powerful stuff. Wow. Cool. So um, is goodinthehead.com the best place for people to connect with you if they want to learn more about you and dive down your little rabbit hole that you've got set up on the interwebs? There is so much there, man. Um, Facebook is uh, an entertaining place where I post daily. I I post the daily perspective shift in there with uh, more quotes and photos. And and the website itself goes a little deeper. It's got a lot more suggestions uh, for video content. If you want to dive deeper, there it is. Mm -hmm. But Facebook's kind of an easy place. Instagram, I love it, but they only let you post so much. Yeah. Some of my posts are a little windy. They're long. Yeah. Which I've had people reach out and say, look, man, I hate that it's so long because I have to read it every day now, man. Thank you. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. That's so cool. You know? Yeah. Cool deal. So Facebook and goodinthehead.com. Yeah, YouTube, uh, good in the head. Nice. So we can link all that up in the show notes. And uh, brother, man, it's been... Uh, wonderful having this conversation with you. I, I appreciate it. Oh man, I'm, I'm the one that's blessed here and I appreciate you coming up and taking the time to share your perspectives. It's going to be your turn soon. 
Oh, well, I hope so. We'll be doing a podcast so. shortly. Uh, man, I'd be happy to. Be happy love to support that. you anyway I can. I love what you're doing. I love the missions that you're on. Likewise, man. They they coincide. We're in alignment. I mean, yeah. we're, we got some interesting tools for people, and I love that. I, f- I feel the vibrations, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about. So, and, and, and to that end, you know, being on the same mission, mission, we're talking about similar things. You know, my last question is always the same, and that's simply this, you know. What does wellness mean to you, or what does wellness look like in your life? Wellness is a thought away. Mm. Wellness is a thought away. Earl Nightingale, in that same, uh, what was it called? You, uh, the Strangest Secret? Strangest Secret. Yeah, I, I listen to it every day, I just can't remember the name of it. <laughs> he says, the secret to success and the secret to failure is this one thing. We become what we think about, mm. period. If you want something to change, if, if your life needs to change, you're going to have to change. And that sucks. I didn't want to hear that, but it's true. If you want your life to improve, you're going to have to improve. Mm. So wellness is a thought away. Beautiful, man. So powerful. I love the way that you frame that. I think that's probably the shortest, most condensed answer I've ever gotten to that question. And there's so much there when you really just pause and think about it. So thank you for that, brother. It's interesting when we draw upon the power of others, how powerful we can become through momentum. Mm. And if you saw me six years ago, you'd be like, what a pitiful creature. That's sad. Not joking. (laughs) That guy's gone. He's been replaced by a new and improved version, it looks like. Damn right. And that's available to anyone. And on that note, guys, we're going to end it here. I want to thank Pete for coming up and spending the time here that you did, brother. I learned so much from you. I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your story. Thank you. And guys, if you haven't checked out Pete, be sure and do so. I'll have all of his stuff linked up in the show notes. Uh, Go check out goodinthehead.com. There's tons and tons and tons of fantastic information that you can all leverage in your lives today. And with that said, guys, we're going to call it here and see you in the next episode. Take care. That's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.